is that you want to accomplish uh, today. In your name we pray. Amen. We started a book, we started a journey through the book of Deuteronomy a few weeks ago, and Deuteronomy is a series, sorry, it's a series of three speeches uh, given by Moses, um, looking for a time of preparation uh, for the people who are about to go into the promised land, and he leads them uh, by a time of reflection on what has happened so that they're ready for the decisions uh, that will, will face them. And last Sunday, we, uh, we kind of started through the, through the first chapter of Deuteronomy, and we were looking at hyperlinks and, and Easter eggs. And if you weren't here, let me quickly uh, let you know what we, we mean by that. A hyperlink is it's something, especially on, the, on, on uh, online things, where you would click an image or click some words, and it it takes you someplace else. Something new opens up. And, and last Sunday we saw a few hyperlinks in the text where we saw in, in Deuteronomy that Moses was speaking back to Genesis chapter 12 and 15 in this covenant that was made between Yahweh and Abraham. And we saw him link back to Exodus chapter 18 where some advice on leadership was given. And we saw him check back to Numbers 13 where the spy, the 12 spies were sent out across the lane. And we'll keep going on that in just a little bit. But an Easter egg, we, we saw last week, an Easter egg is something that is in plain sight, but it's, it's really not necessarily something you see unless you can really look for it or unless it's pointed out in some ways. And like, like on this, I showed you some logos last week and some movie things, but on this FedEx, I don't know how many of you have ever noticed that before, but there's an arrow in the, in the logo of the FedEx uh, logo to be able to say that it's, it's on the move. We're, we're always moving forward. And so that's the kind of things we're looking for. And we saw some, some Easter eggs in the text, meaning like if we didn't notice these were here and these are going to come back into play today, just so you know, that Yahweh has given you this land. We saw that. We saw that his construction was go and take possession. We saw Moses said, I've carried you alone. And we saw the word good kind of appearing over and over. And today we're going we're gonna to begin in verse 32. We ended in verse 31 last week. And, and it, it's kind of still as Moses is rehearsing this fallout from the, the 12 spies. Now, if I can, I'm just going just gonna to briefly re remind you of where we're at in case somebody here, uh, somebody's here that wasn't here last week. In verse 21 of, De all of this is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verse 21, Moses had, had taken these people to the threshold of the promised land, and he said, you know what, I, I was here before. I was here with your fathers, and this is what I told your fathers, that Yahweh has given you this land. I want you to go take possession of it, and don't be afraid. We saw this last week, and, and yet the people responded in verse 23 by saying, well, can we, can we send some spies, and Moses said, hey, that's a, that's a good idea. And so when these spies go out, these 10 spies, and this is back in the book of Numbers, these 10 spies come back, and, and they went to this good land, and it was a good idea, but they came back with a bad report, and they said, no, man, there's walled cities, and there's these people called, or these things called Nephilim, and they're sons of Anak, and we can't because they're giants. But there was one spy, his name was Caleb, and he's going to be he's going to be pretty central to what we're going to talk about today. This one spy, Caleb says, no, no, no. We can go and we could do what we were told. We can take possession. We can. But they didn't. 
Moses reminded the people now back in Deuteronomy, he said, when we were standing here, I told your fathers, in spite of what they heard, I I told your fathers, let's go, let's take possession, but they didn't go. And I've highlighted this in red because this is going to be really important, especially at the end of the message. You rebelled against the command of Yahweh, your God. And why why did they not go? Because, and this is going to be really big too, their hearts melted in fear. So don't forget that. So, so this, this, is, this is what Moses is saying. It's like, I, I told you to go, and, and this is why I told you to go. Because it says in verse number, number 30 and 31, Yahweh says, Moses said, Yahweh's going before you. It's important. He's before you. He's going to fight for you, and he's carried you. Now he's going to get into verse 32. He's going to say, because of this, in spite of, all of, in spite of all of what I just told you, that Yahweh's in front of you, that Yahweh's going to fight for you, that Yahweh's carrying you, he's going to say this in verse 32. In spite of the, oops, I'm sorry. I'm going to get out of turn. Verse 32. In spite of this, you did not trust in Yahweh, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Moses is saying, hey, I was here with your fathers and they stood on the threshold of this promised land all the way from Egypt to right here. They were led daily by a pillar of cloud by day, by by night, by a pillar of fire. And yet once they heard the report of these spies about the land, they said, we can't go any further. There's giants in the land. Now, now think rationally with me, would you, church? These people are the same ones who saw the 10 plagues in Egypt. They're the ones who saw the Red Sea part. They're the ones who pick up manna every day as it falls from the ground, and they have drank water from a rock. They were the ones who stood at the base of Mount Sinai and up at the top, they heard thunders and rumblings and lightnings knowing that's our God. They have followed a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and now they get to the brink of the promised land and the words of 10 men make them say, we can't go any further. I read that and I'm like, Why? Like, look at everything your God has done for you to get you to this place, right? He's responsible for getting you here, right? Yes. Why would you let people now keep you from moving forward? I I look at that and I think, that's me. I do that all the time. Like, if I were to think of my story, and I want you to consider your story, how Did the Lord bring you into this building today? And I don't mean just like, how did you get to PCC? I'm talking about go back in your life. See, my life story, it goes all the way back to a grandmother who came from the country of Hungary when she was a teenager with her brother, just the two of them. They landed on a port in New York City and ended up somewhere, somehow getting to East Chicago, Indiana. 
in a small Hungarian community with a Hungarian Baptist church where my grandmother gave her life to Jesus and she had four children, one of them being my mother, and my mother meets my dad in a roller skating rink when she falls down and he who was on on service helped her up. I'm the youngest of six, but I'm born nine years after the rest of my family. I was not not planned. I meet a girl from northern Wisconsin whose whose family moved because the Lord told her, Father, abandon your plumbing business, abandon, abandon your brand new home and come to Maryville, Indiana. And we get married and then we spend... 20 years living in my home area, and then we moved, we moved for seven years to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and a, and a random visit to a college I had never heard of six months earlier leads our family here. Okay, let's step back. Say, Brian, what role did you play in that? Like, I... It didn't. That's all God, right? That's all God. And for you, you could, you could tell your own story, the similar ways, and you would bring it all the way up to the, to the promised land right here. Like, you are here today because of the work of God. But could it be? Could it be that even with a miraculous story of how God worked to bring you into this group today, that you're still sitting here with the same belief that Israel displayed? The same disbelief, excuse me, that Israel displayed. Saying, I I will readily confess that Jesus worked in miraculous ways to bring me here. Yet, when opportunities are presented to step out of your comfort zone, to serve, to lead, to speak, to pray, those opportunities are met with the words, I can't. Oh, oh okay. Your God was great enough to bring you here but he's not enough to give you the strength and the confidence and the power to do what he asks you to do today. I mean, do we, we, we do realize what we're implying. Like, you got me here, but that's as, that's as, far, as, that's as far as I'm going to go. I, I came to church, but don't ask me to serve. I showed up, but, but don't ask me to pray or talk or, or lead. Don't, don't, no, no. Hey, church, can I encourage you? Let's stop limiting our limitless God from only working in places and in ways we are comfortable. Because that's what we do. We wait until we're comfortable. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying in any way to make you feel bad because I gotta, I'll readily admit, this is me. I told you a couple weeks ago about how the Lord put on, it was so clear, sitting at my kitchen table, it was so clear, I want you to give money to a missionary. And I was like, no. I, he told me a second time, give money to this missionary. And I said, no. 
It took the Lord three times to come to me very clearly to say, I told you to give money to this missionary. And he, he told me I, the amount. He told me, give this missionary $300. And I was like, no thanks. Well, wait, wait a second. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying to the God who has provided for me in amazing, abundant ways for my entire life that, no, I can't trust you with $300. Finally, I gave in. It was kind of more like, all right, okay, if I have to, if you're not going to let, let me go, I gave. You know what happened the very next day? I asked my wife. I was standing at the counter in our kitchen holding a check written out to me for $336. See? The Lord is saying, see? I asked you to do it. I'll take care. I will always take care of you. Oh, Obey me when I ask you. Thank you, Kyler, for, for your sharing. Saying the same thing. Hey, listen, church, faith is not following only when we see where Jesus is going. That's not what, that's not what faith is. Like, I see where we're going, so all right, I'll follow. Faith is following when all we see is Jesus. I don't know where he's going and I don't know what he's doing, but here's what I know. I can depend on him. I can trust him. I can believe in him and I can follow him. He, he's, that, he's that good shepherd of Psalm 23 that leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we don't have a pillar of fire today to follow, but you know what you do have? The Holy Spirit who is represented by fire in you. He'll lead we just got to listen and obey. Let's go back, back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. This is what happened when the, when, the men, when, they, when the fathers did not trust Yahweh. Verse 34. When Yahweh heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore. No one from this evil, notice this contrast here. No one from this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your ancestors, verse 36, except, huh, here's this guy again, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I, you got to notice these next words. I will give him and his descendants the land. Okay, I'm going to pause right here. You know why that's important? Because you remember what Yahweh said at the very beginning of Deuteronomy 1? I have given you this land. Now he's saying to an individual, I'm giving you and your descendants this land because, notice the ending, he followed Yahweh wholeheartedly. Now, we have got, we have got to hyperlink Caleb because we've got to see this really clearly. So, so bear with me right here. Right? We're at Deuteronomy 1. We're at Deuteronomy 1. We're about to skip to the end of Deuteronomy. End of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. The people go into the promised land led by a new man named Joshua. And if you don't know the story, Joshua and Caleb, these two men, were the only ones who said, let's go into the land. Joshua leads them through this victorious, oh, traveling, I don't know what, battle, pursuit. They gain all the land, right? 
And at the end, Caleb's going to come back to the story. So we're skipping from Deuteronomy 1 almost to the end of Joshua. If you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. I'm going to read quite a few verses from Joshua chapter number 14. Joshua chapter number 14 is the very next book of the Bible. So we're going from Deuteronomy 1 to Joshua chapter 14, nearing the end of the conquest. Here's what we're going to read, verse number 6. Joshua 14, verse number 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb. Ha, there's that guy again. Son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzites said to him, You know what Yahweh said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. He's saying, I was one of those spies. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. Okay, verse 8. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me, those other 10 spies, made the hearts of the people melt. Oh, there's that word. Caleb's using the same word that Moses did. Like the people, the, 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 the hearts of the people melted. And he said, melt in fear. I, however... Caleb's own testimony, followed Yahweh, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me the land. Here's that promise again. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed Yahweh, my God, wholeheartedly. So we, saw, we just saw that in Deuteronomy, but let's keep reading verse 10. This is Caleb speaking where am I at? Verse 10. There we go. Now then, just as Yahweh promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Verse 12, now give me this hill country. Some of your translations may say, now give me this mountain, which is where we get the term, I want that mountain, because Caleb's saying it right here. Give me this hill country that Yahweh promised me that day. Get this, get this, get this. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But Yahweh helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, what a dude, man. He's 80. Five years old saying, those giants that we talked about 40 years ago, I'm going to go take care of them right now. Let me add them. Give me, that, give me that country. And we see it in the very next chapter. Joshua gives them the land. And here's what we read in chapter 15, verse 14. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites and lists their names, the sons of Anak. An 85-year-old man drove out the giants that made the hearts of an entire nation melt in fear. Dude, what a stud. But it's not because he had physical strength. He's 85. 
but because he believed wholeheartedly in what Yahweh had promised him. And you know what this tells me? It means nobody in here is too old to help with the youth lock-in. Right? This dude's 85. What's your excuse? Right? Come on. He's defeating giants at the age of 85. Because he wholeheartedly followed Yahweh. I love, Kyler, I love the fact that the Lord used you to step down this aisle today and say, well, I'll speak. I love that. What an example you served today to this church and just simply obeying and saying, I don't know. I've been waiting for a chance. Here we go. Man, couldn't we all follow that example? But what really stands out to me is remember when Caleb, he said, those 10 spies, the people that went out with me, they made the hearts of the people melt with fear because they were giants and they had walled cities. Okay, well, we got we to gotta trail that back to the beginning of Joshua. Can you go back with me now to Joshua chapter number two? Joshua chapter number two. So again, I, I just kind of got to give you this context. Joshua took over after Moses Joshua leads the people right up to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua makes this decision to send out some spies. Like, it didn't work out real well last time, Joshua. Whether that's the right thing to do or not, I don't know. But he sends out two spies. They go into the city they're going to attack first. It's called Jericho. But the king of Jericho hears there's two spies. He sends soldiers to capture them and arrest them and take them back to him. But somehow the two spies find out there's people chasing them. So they end up in the home of a lady named Rahab. And you may have heard that name before. Rahab. Rahab, long story short, she hides the spies. The soldiers come. She says, I don't know. The soldiers leave. And then she goes up and she has a conversation with those two spies. That's what we're going to read in Joshua chapter number 2. Joshua chapter number 2, verse number 8. Joshua 2, verse number 8. Says this. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, meaning Rahab, went up onto the roof and said to them, huh, look at what she says, I know that Yahweh has given you this land. Wait, what? She wasn't at Sinai. She wasn't with the group of people when Moses was saying, Yahweh gave us this land. This is, an, this is a Gentile. She's one living in the land of giants that, that, inside that walled city of Jericho. And she's saying, yeah, I know Yahweh has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Wait a second, I thought, the, I thought Israel was melting in fear because of the people in the promised land. Verse 10, she says, but we have, we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Sorry. Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. 
And everyone's courage failed because of you. Notice what she's, how she says this. For Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I read that and I'm like, wow. wow. Okay, wait. The implications of this woman living in Jericho who knows Yahweh has given you our land. We're scared to death of you, and we know that your God is the true God. And on the other side are all these people of God, the people who have made this covenant with Yahweh, and they're saying, we can't go. There's giants. We're scared. The whole time, they're scared of the giants. The giants are scared of them. Meaning if they would have just followed, they would have won. They only had like one guy, like one guy's like, we don't need to be afraid. Let's go. Let's take possession. We can have it. This one man who wholeheartedly followed Yahweh and all the rest were like, ah, no. You know what this makes me think of? Western Christianity. You know most Christians, most American Christians are afraid to take a stand for what they truly believe? You're scared. You are scared. I am scared. We're scared to say what we truly believe in a world out there. We shrink back in fear of the giants of our culture without ever realizing, hey, you know the people out there know the true God, they know there's a creator. They know there is, whether they want to call it a higher power, some greater force, they know. They know there's something that rules. And yet the ones who say, well, we know who it is, we're afraid to take a stand to say, yeah, that, that's our God. Because we're afraid of what they might say and how they might respond. And my question, I'm just thinking like, what would happen if those who held to biblical values found their voices again? What would happen? How different would our, our homes and our schools and our workplaces and even our government, how different would it be if believers who were filled with the Spirit of God, who had a knowledge of the Word of God, and who lived with the grace, and that's very important, who lived with the grace of God overflowing. What if we stepped into the culture with the truth? How different would Plymouth be? How different would Marshall County be? How different would the community around us be if we had a collection of Caleb's walking out, people who wholeheartedly followed Yahweh, wholeheartedly said, I know who the God is. I'm going to tell you who the God is, and I'm going to do it with grace because that's how he would do it as well. But we need, we need people who have the answers that the culture is looking for and be unafraid to share those answers, church. We're so afraid, though, of how the truth will cost us. Hey, you know what? When, when people a long time ago, centuries ago, stood up for the truth, you know, they were burned at the stake. But you know what? They still stood for the truth. 
You know, we have brothers and sisters today around the world who if they stood for the truth, they would be beheaded and they're willing to stand for the truth. And we're scared of getting canceled. I, 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 just, I really believe that believers, just, we just need to gracefully stand against the lies of the world by holding the truth of the word. The world offers nothing but lies. We have the truth. We're so scared without realizing, no, they're the ones who are scared because the truth sets you free. But we're scared to share it. Don't be afraid, church, to live out your faith. And do it with kindness and do it with love and do it with grace. We don't need to be, we don't need to be pompous and arrogant about it. We need to do it with kindness and love. But we need to live out the truth. Go back to Deuteronomy 1 with me, if you would, briefly. I'm going to have to skip a, skip a little bit of this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead. Um, I'm going to jump all the way up to, uh, to verse 42. So, I know, Bill, if you could find me verse 42. I'm skipping quite a, quite a, few, quite a few, but I, I just want to jump up to verse 42. Good, thank you. It says, but Yahweh said, to, I guess I should tell you what we're skipping. Yeah, that would help, that would help, right? Verse, verses 37, 38, Moses says, I've lost the chance to lead you. Verse 39, um, he, he reminds these people, which I think is really cool in verse 39. He says, you, you're, the, you're the children that your parents were worried about. You get to take the land and you get to take possession of it. And, and, and then he tells how the, the, the fathers had, conf, had offered this false confession of we've sinned like we're sorry we'll go ahead and we'll go anyways i'm sorry I, I wish i'd have time to go into that but let's go to verse 42 but yahweh said to me tell them meaning tell the fathers who wouldn't go ahead do not go up and fight because i will not be with you you will be defeated by your enemies and this is important because the people after moses said you've lost the chance to go in yahweh's upset with you and he said you won't get the land they're like no no we'll go now we'll go now We'll go up and fight, but remember, hey, he never told you to go up and fight. He said, go up and take possession. Yahweh will fight for you. And they didn't need to fight. Remember what happened in Jericho? They walked around the city. They blew some trumpets, and the walls fell down. Like, who did the fighting there, right? But they're like, no, 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 we'll go. And he's like, don't go fight. I'm not going to be with you. Verse 43. Verse 43, yeah. So I told you, but you would not listen. This is Moses speaking. You would not listen. And here's, here's that phrase again. You rebelled against Yahweh's command. And in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. Now, you remember the, the first time we, we read this back in verse 26, I had highlighted it in red. You rebelled against the command of Yahweh. Verse 26, we saw that. Now he's saying you rebelled against Yahweh's command in verse 43. The first time he said it, it's because they didn't go. This time he's saying it because they are going. Come on, y'all. What do you want? You want us to go or not go? We're rebelling if we go. We're rebelling if we not go. What do you want? I think if we were to ask, what do you want? I think he's already made it very clear what I want. I want a relationship. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want to dwell with you. That's why we made a covenant, because I want you to trust me, and I want to be with you. But, but see, here's, here's the thing. Yahweh just got done saying, I'm not going to go with you. And they're like, that's okay. We just want the land. How many of us 
would rather have the gifts of God than the God who provides gifts. Man, I think of that and it cuts right to my heart. Verse 44 says, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and they, they beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept. Notice this words. You came back and wept before Yahweh, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. So you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. I think in verse 45, Yahweh was doing far more than just saying, you got whooped. He was making a very clear parallel statement to something these people had already experienced. I'm going to show you. I don't want you to turn there. But you remember how Yahweh had said earlier, Moses had said, Yahweh carries you like a father carries a son? In Exodus chapter number two, if we were to go back there, but don't. If we were to go back to Exodus chapter number two, you will find Israel being called the son of God. And here's what we would read. The Israelites, the son, groaned in their slavery. This is a long time before. Groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning. And he remembered. Now, when you see the word remembered, he didn't forget something. He's an omniscient God. It means he's acting on something he's already said or promised. He remembered, he moved on the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I get, so you get this, right? It's the same people in Egypt and here, right at the brink of the promised land. They cry out to God in Egypt, and he hears them, and he acts. They cry out to God here on the promised land. He turns a deaf ear to them. Come on, that's not how dads act, right? Loving fathers, they don't really just turn away from their children, do they? I think every parent here knows that there's times in our children's lives where they're just not going to listen to us. Like their heart is set on what they want and it doesn't matter what we say and it doesn't matter what they say. Those words are meaningless until there's a transformation of the heart. Until the heart says, okay, I'm, I need you again. The people weren't crying out to God because they needed his help. They are crying out to God as a whiny child who doesn't get what he wants. And when our children just say, oh, please give me that cookie. Please give me that ice cream. Go ahead, keep asking me, but it's nothing you're ever going to get. I think sometimes we have to understand that as parents, we don't just keep giving our kids everything that they ask for. You're training them to now look at God and say, give me, thing, give me everything I ask for. I, I'm not talking about anyone in this room, but it's appalling being out in the world and seeing the way parents raise their children. They give them everything that they want. They have to use the word no 15 times before the child even responds. And you know what, if, if I can just really encourage you, parents, train your children to respond to the voice of authority because there will be a day when they need to respond to the voice of God. And if they are so used to hearing, to, to saying something to you and it being not, I'm not going to even worry about, 
Mom, give me what I want. Dad, give me what I want. And they get it when then God says, no, you can't do that, or it's not time, or that's not right. They're going to say, I want it anyways. We, we've got to train our children understanding that authority, is, it's not that I, I have rule and reign. It's that I'm teaching you how to respond to the greater authority who truly does have rule and reign. God said, go. The people said, no. God said, turn around. We didn't read it, but God said, turn around. And they said, no, no, we're going to go forward. He said, don't go. And they said, we're going. And then they said, how, what, why? I really think the Lord was just, just waiting for them to get their hearts set and saying, you know what we want more than that land? We want you. I think until we get to a place where more than we want that new car, more than we want that salary raise, more than we want this or that that we're praying for, more than we want any of that, we want you. I want you. I want, a, I want more of your presence in my life. That's when God begins to respond to us. We can't miss how all this points us to Jesus. Because here's, here's what you've got to understand, right? If you've been here for a couple weeks, this will make great sense. If, if not, maybe I'm going to have to paint this picture a little clearer. All of Israel was given the land. Go take possession. Yahweh has given you this land. They said no. One man. One man says, I will wholeheartedly follow Yahweh. I will wholeheartedly obey. I will go. And you know what Yahweh says to him? You get the land. You, you and your children, you get all of the land. Now he's given the promise to one man that used to go to the whole nation because there was a wholehearted devotion to Yahweh. Jesus comes as the son of God. What was, Israel was called the son of God. Adam was called the son of God. Both of them had failed to obey. Now Jesus comes and he wholeheartedly follows every command. The work that you have given to me to do, I have done it. There is not one word of yours that has fallen. I have accomplished everything you asked, Father. What should, what should he get? Oh, well, then son, you get everything that I promised. But, but we got to see what Jesus does, right? Instead of taking the promises his own and saying, yes, he, he goes to a cross. And he says, I'm going to take the place of a group of people who will not wholeheartedly follow Jesus. I'm going to take the place of a group of people who, who they, they won't follow you. They won't trust you. They, they don't want to go with you. They want your things more than they want you. They're scared of the people around them. I, everything that this group deserves, Father, give it to me. And everything I deserve, give it to them. Oh, what a God, come on. What a Savior we have. Jesus goes to the cross and he, he cries out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He shouldn't have been forsaken. We deserve to be forsaken. 
And when Jesus cries out and he hears nothing but silence, there's just silence in the air and darkness. That's what we deserve. But the obedient son of God, he got it himself. And Jesus cries out from the cross, I thirst as eternal torment that we deserve. He suffers that eternal torment of hellfire separation from the Father in our place. And then he says, oh, by the way, I've made a way for you to go to the Father. I've made a way for you to go to the promised land. The promised land is the presence of my father. It's where I was and it's where it's what I gave up in order for you to have it freely. How, how do we get there, Jesus? How do we get there? What do I have to do? Now, if I asked you to do something, you wouldn't do it. You'd fail. Well, then what, what can I accomplish? You can't accomplish anything. What do I do? Trust me. Trust in what I have done and follow me with your whole heart. Oh, I'm going to fail. I know you will. And I'll be right there. And I'll pick you up. And I will carry you like a father carries his child. Man, what a king you have. What a king we have. Somebody who takes everything that we deserve upon himself and gives us everything that he deserves. And he does it simply because he loves us. What a king. What a king. So what do I do? Well, I think it's simple. I listen to his voice. Whether it's through the word or whether it's through the spirit, I listen. I said, what do you want? Jesus, from me, what do, you, what do you want? And when he says, I want you to serve, we serve. I want you to give, I, I give. I want you to love, we love. I want you to go, we go. I want you to carry, we carry. I want you to help, we help. We just listen to the word and we listen to the spirit speaking to us. It's, what I, it's all I tried to do today when I came in. I knew the Lord said someone wanted to share a word, so I just asked it. And I had to keep asking until, until Kyler responded, not because I felt like I was trying to put pressure, because I just, I knew it's what he wanted, so that's what I wanted, I just wanted to obey. We gotta listen and we all go obey. Don't let fear stop you, church. And we celebrate the Son of God because we keep looking at Jesus. So why do we keep looking at Jesus? Because Jesus is the way that we listen and obey. We look at him, how he listened to the Father, how he obeyed the Father, and that is how our heart is transformed, to listen to the Father and to obey the Father. We celebrate the Son of God, the one who took all you deserve and gave you all he deserves. And it's all a transfer through faith. Do you believe and will you follow?